Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Hello and welcome to episode 90. Now, today's episode is for you. If you'd like to know what a non-billable client services director does in an agency, Luke Bowler joins me today and he shares with me how he went from studying to be a designer to moving to the account management role, why his CSD role is non-billable and how he decides where best to spend his time, how he interacts with the project management team who are running the projects on a day-to-day basis, how he He cleverly keeps abreast of his agency's industry news, despite the fact they're spread across multiple industries, the project management tools his agency are using, and as well as how they're incorporating AI into the ways of working. So a really interesting spread of topics today, and I know you're going to find this interesting. So let's go over to the introduction now. I'm delighted to introduce today Luke Bowler. He is the Head of Client Service at Therefore Interactive, an award-winning digital agency in Toronto, Canada. Now, Luke has over a decade of experience working in the creative industry, and I've invited him to share his perspective on the role of Client Services Director and any tips for those in account management who aspire to be Head of Client Service. Luke, a very warm welcome. Thank you. I'm honoured, Jenny. I've listened to your podcast for a long time and uh, probably started listening to it at a time when I really needed some structure and some organisation around what it means to be an account management and especially what it means to be a client service director. So thank you. I really am honoured to join you. I'm delighted to hear that and it's a pleasure to finally talk to you after so long having interactions with you on LinkedIn. So just start off, Luke, by telling us a bit about you. How did you get the role of CSD? Tell us a quick kind of summary of your background. Sure. Yeah, it's funny. I was reflecting on this the other day. And on paper, I don't think it could be an any more linear journey to the creative industry, certainly. But it's not felt, I don't think it could have felt any more chaotic. (laughs) It's gone through many twists and turns. The idea of being an account manager was not on my radar whatsoever. I didn't know what account management was. I saw myself as the designer in a design agency or the developer in a, in a digital agency. I did not think about account management. But I guess when I look back now, books that my cousin bought me that I got really interested in, they were the ones about running a, an agency or managing a client. I think about one site, how to be a designer without losing your soul. It wasn't really about being a designer, so much about being a good client and being a good agency owner and setting up the right environment. And likewise, even that experience of going into the room and having to kind of sell myself and my abilities and my passion with really not a lot to show for it kind of proved to me, I guess, well, I guess you've got some skill for selling, so maybe you can probably do all right in account management. So I would definitely say I fell into it, but most of the account managers I've met have said the same thing. I agree. And it's interesting that you say that you came from the creative route. So you were creative, you thought you were going to be a designer, but you're interested in the business side of the agency. 
do you want to be an agency owner at some point? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely always been an interest. And I think one of the benefits of now being a client service director is you are exposed to everything. I've read Robert Solomon's book, The Art of Client Service, where he talks about being second best at everything. And that so resonates with me. And I think the recent interview that you did touched on this as well, that almost reframing what it means to be an account manager is to be a practitioner. And you end up knowing a little bit of everything. And I think when you then go through the ranks and then you get to that kind of client service director role, now you really are seeing behind the curtain and you're seeing all of the inner workings of the agency and what makes it work and more importantly, maybe what makes it not work and not be profitable. So yeah, it's still an ambition for sure. I've probably got more organization to uh, <laughs> to develop first, but no, for sure. It's always been a lifelong dream. Yeah. I, well, I think it's the perfect pathway into agency ownership. I really do. And maybe there's some people listening to this that are already in the client services director role. Maybe they've considered it, maybe they haven't, but it's always inspiring to hear someone else's story. And I noticed that you've got a pink book on the shelf behind you. And yes. do you want to read out which book that is? Yeah, so this is the uh, Grow Your Agency to the First Five Million Pounds and Beyond. We'll convert that to dollars now. Five Million Pounds and Beyond by Agency Nomics. And this has been a great framework, really, to look at and to benchmark against. It was very useful in my previous agency, totally different environment and different stage of growth to where the agency therefore is. But it's really nice to have something to look at and say, well, that's what good looks like. How close am I to that? That's very helpful. Great. That's a great plug for the agency nomics group as well. So we'll put a link in the show notes for anyone that wants to read that book. It is really, really good. Luke, in terms of the agency you're at now, what's your kind of business setup? Tell me about the model. What kind of clients do you serve? And do you split the AM and the PM team? Tell me a bit about the inner workings of the agency. Sure. Yeah. So I guess in terms of who we serve, we're in the business of digital experience and kind of enterprise digital experience. We are typically working with the VP of marketing or the VP of technology or both. And I guess the common pain point that they tend to share is that in the past, getting teams to create content was like blood out of a stone. That's very much not the case anymore. And now the issue is more curatorial. Now there's so much content that it's enormously difficult to manage at scale when we're talking about lots of internal teams, lots of local markets, lots of languages, lots of currencies, etc. And they will generally tell us that the tools that they're using are really letting them down. Quite commonly, they've been sold a bit of a dream by the kind of DXP, digital experience platform vendors that doing all of that in one place can solve all of your problems. And I think the reality quite often is because those platforms have grown out of merger and acquisition, they're a bit of a Frankenstein. And so what was a very small box of a kind of a single website becomes a much bigger box, but it's still a box at the end of the day. And our clients are trying to kind of break out of that. And so that's really where we help them. We architect a solution that can scale and that can help them to kind of keep on top of the content that's been created in the company. In terms of how we're set up, this is one of the things I think that drew me to Therefore, I think there's lots of different uh, personas almost of, of client service people. I was always quite operational. I think I reached a point where because at my previous agency, account management and project management were tightly coupled together, I was doing a lot of project management and not really feeling like I knew what to do, especially the bigger the project, the bigger the company, the higher the stakes. I felt quite definitely a, a sense of imposter syndrome and I need to go and train in this. I need to have some basis to lean on. 
So I went away and I did an agile course and that was enormously helpful. It gave me lots of stakeholder management tips and just general kind of project management framework to work with. And so that just naturally turned my focus. I was already passionate about creativity. I was already somewhat strategic because I freelanced in the past. So I kind of had to be to generate business. I didn't have that kind of operational organizational framework to fall back on. So that it gave me that and it probably made me a little bit more, had an eye for what was going on operationally. And so when I started speaking to therefore, I was really impressed with how they were set up. They do separate between account management and project management. So account management actually at the moment is just myself and that's entirely non-billable. And it's all about just generating new business in part, but also continuing to get, retain and grow existing client revenue. And then we have a completely separate project management function, which I'm so grateful for because despite some training, <laughs> they're a lot better at it than I ever will be. And we also have what we call therefore care, which is kind of everything that happens after a project is delivered. And that I would say really is the business. And that's probably true of a lot of agencies. Obviously, most agencies want to have that recurring revenue, something that's predictable. And for that reason, therefore care sits almost as a business within the business. It's got its own P&L, it's got its own ring fence resource pool. So when clients invest in an ongoing program, inevitably they want to know that their resource is their resource and the next big project's not going to come along and everyone's going to move like iron filings to that project and they're going to be left at risk. So having that separation between not just account management, project management, also within that, I suppose a bit of a pod-like structure really, where this group of people are being managed independently really takes a lot of risk out of being an account manager and everything becomes that much more predictable, I suppose. So definitely one of the things that draw me to that for. Very interesting. So you said that you work typically with global enterprise level clients who are looking to curate their content over multiple regions, territories, yeah. etc. And do you stick to a certain client in a certain industry as well, or is it across industry? Across industry, yeah. We've probably developed something of not just a, a specialism for, but a passion in travel, partly because, I mean, not only is travel booming at the moment, and it's a great time to be in travel, but also there's so many opportunities for digital to play a role in the customer journey. There's so many opportunities for personalization. So it just happens to fit really well in what we do. But it is, it is fairly in sector agnostic. Right. Okay. So if a client wants to work with you, would you say that you do projects as well as retainers? So this retainer is your therefore care service. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So it's most common that there will be a project. As always, that jumps you quite a long way forward. You can get a lot done within the confines of a project. So that will be a gateway most of the time. That is the gateway to then a longer term relationship. It's within therefore care where I think then the opportunity to really build and sustain that relationship happens. And uh, yeah, we're talking about ways that we can continue to develop that. We've got a really good model now because it's ring-fenced in terms of resorts. It's quite predictable. And now we can start to think about what other services can we bolt onto that on an ongoing basis that a client's really going to value. But yeah, no, it's projects. Projects and retainer, typical kind of agency model is always there. But I think we put a lot of emphasis on the ongoing kind of therefore care piece because really that is not only the predictable revenue, but also it's incredibly well managed and very operationally mature. So it just makes sense to continue to kind of build that. Okay. So given that you've got the title of CSD, but you're hands-on account managing, principally for those clients who have signed up for the Therefore Care service, do the project managers report into you because you have that senior title or do they report into head of ops? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting question. We've actually got another guy, David, and he really runs their full care. So actually the project management office really runs into him and then he and I work closely together. So it's slightly unique in that fashion. And I sit slightly as an umbrella over that. So I find that quite helpful because I think as a client service director, one of the benefits, one of the luxuries is to be slightly removed from the day-to-day running of projects and even retained work so that you can build a relationship with clients, which is a little bit more personal. And so you can sit on their side of the table a little bit more and you don't have to get quite so ingrained into the detail. And when I speak to senior clients, that's what they want. If there's an issue with the work, well, give me access to the people who are doing the work because probably I can help. But if it's not that, I just want to have a relationship with you. I want to feel that we can talk about things that aren't just work. And when I need an opinion, you'll have one and it will be aligned to my business because you know me so well. Right. Okay. So this leads me quite nicely onto your role as CSD there. So what are you doing on a day-to-day basis to kind of retain and grow those relationships? Yeah. So I, I kind of see my role as straddling almost two sides of the fence. On the one hand, it's making sure that what we're delivering today is aligned to the client's objectives and, and the objectives of their business. Obviously, that's important because if we're not doing that, that's just the baseline. However, there's also looking ahead and saying, well, what does this agency need to look like in 18 months' time to still be delivering on those objectives? And so I kind of split my focus between making sure at a high level that everything that we're doing at the moment is not just going well, i.e. we're delivering on time, delivering on budget. It's really speaking to what the client wants and we're delivering on some objectives. We're, we're meeting some tangible business goal and we're not just on time and on budget. That's the baseline. That's what clients expect. I think I, I heard from you like, three or four years ago that in order to retain a client, you need to go beyond just what's been asked for and buy something that they haven't asked for, but that they would value and that they need. So I think the flip side to that is, are we delivering on actual tangible business objectives? And are we doing something that proves to the client that they're front of mind, that we're thinking about them, that we're looking at their industry, that we're trying to stay ahead on their behalf so that the next difficult meeting that they're going to have internally, yeah, they've got something that we've spoken about that they can drop into conversation and that we're kind of working in partnership together. So it's partly present day, partly, and I, and I think probably the most exciting part is looking forward to the future and what do we need to look back in. And can I assume the fact that you are non-billable, it makes that easier it because does. it takes the pressure off having to bill against certain jobs because what you've just described is kind of nirvana for a lot of account managers to look up from the weeds and look at where are we now how can i solve the problems that the client has now but also where can i lead them in the future so tell me about because i'm sure a lot of agency owners particularly listening i've met agencies that have a non-billable account management team but some people think that it's quite unusual so can you talk to us a bit about how that works yeah so i guess at the moment it's a little easier in so much as account management is predominantly me within this organization. And as we grow and as the team grows, then the pressure on account managers to be somewhat billable may grow with it. And that certainly was the case in my previous agency. I was expected to be billable. And that was a struggle because you're right. I think the moment that you join a call with a client, especially if it is a client who is conscious of budget and even if they're not so be honest just as a, as a baseline they are aware that they are on the clock 
And so I'm partly there to strategize with them to directly add value to their business. I'm partly there as a conduit on the agency side, trying to grow and develop more business. So there is that kind of weird conflict of interest that I feel that happens in those scenarios. And when you're not billable and you can just join to be almost on their side of the table, that's enormously helpful. There's no barriers there by default. We've certainly found that in parts that having an account manager there and then knowing that it's billable, you feel that pressure there for to be adding value in every moment. And otherwise, then you actually just get excluded from those meetings. And that's the worst case scenario of being a billable account manager. You don't get invited to be part of the conversation because they know that I don't really need you to be. I want to have this direct conversation about my project or, or with a developer or designer or anything else. So I think there's enormous benefits for the account management team to be dominantly at least non-billable. And I think if we're doing our jobs right, then the client's seeing value from us and the agency will see value from us because we'll demonstrate that value in, in terms of existing client growth and, and retention. So I really do think it works. I just think it takes a leap of faith from an agency owner point of view to really commit to that. And it doesn't mean that we're not looking for opportunities to be available. We're consultants at the end of the day. Like we can absolutely, and we do on a regular basis, add value. And we shouldn't just give that away for free necessarily. But I think being able to pick and choose when it's appropriate is a real benefit. So what advice would you give for other people listening to this who perhaps are billable, they are in a senior account management role, and they're looking to do what you're doing, which is being more consultative, looking at the business challenges, but they're frustrated because they keep getting pulled down in the weeds. How do you stay ahead of knowing all about the client's business and looking at trends and customer insights and stuff like that? How do you manage that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we have to carve out time where that client that has growth potential, I guess actually taking a step back, it's knowing what clients have that growth potential to begin with and knowing where that time, if it is spent, will generate more business for the agency. I think if that's already been done, then I think it's just about carving out the time where that client is your sole focus. And you know that you're giving all of your kind of investment of effort and attention to just that one client. I don't think I've ever found that by doing that, it hasn't come up with something that I wouldn't otherwise have thought of and be able to take that to the client and for it to be of interest to them. So it's always been beneficial to do it. I think where it gets difficult is probably where the time hasn't been taken to really categorize and classify clients upfront and so we know that this client has the potential to grow and we won't grow it if all we're doing is just delivering on the things that they're asking for today we have to take a look at what's coming look at their industry and look at their competitors and be able to bring something to them that's going to expand their thinking what's your criteria for identifying a client with growth potential yeah that's a great question as well which i think my thinking on this has evolved somewhat i think we had a conversation as well about not looking quite so much at the kind of lagging indicators of what revenue they've put with you in the past but the leading indicators of what suggests that they are a good client and there is the potential to grow so i've created something of a, a bit of a scoring system i suppose for the accounts that we have that adds up those various different things of is it a profitable client it's one thing to get revenue from a client obviously it's a totally different thing for that client to be profitable so is it a profitable client is it culturally aligned are we able to work together do we get the best out of one another are we strategically aligned as well the ceo of the agency will always have a vision what the agency is meant to look like in 12 to 18 months is the client going to help us to get there it's another factor 
And then I think actual pipeline as well. And having one of the most useful things to do is to have that cadence of quarterly meetings with a client where they know that it's time well spent, but we're going to take time almost out of the business. Might be half a day, could even be a whole day. It's going to be as useful for them as it is for us. But for the agency, it gives you that visibility of what's coming down the pipe, what's most likely to come up. And so, yeah, we've got the great luxury at therefore of having a nine-month pipeline, a really good visibility of what's coming, and then being able to kind of work on that over that period. So, yeah, I think those kind of quarterly sessions where everyone just takes a step back and has to think about what's coming. Yeah, that's really useful because it means that that classification of growth potential is very real and tangible. This is all music to my ears. Anyone would have thought you'd come on my training course, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good because it makes growth so much easier if you can stay close to their business and they see you then as being consultative. I call it working upstream with your clients because a lot of agencies only work downstream on kind yeah. of deliverables and it's very tactical at that level. That's brilliant. So carry on telling us about your CSD role. Tell us about how you keep up with all of the clients and what your advice is for other people about maintaining those relationships. Any tips and tricks you can share? Yeah, I think that can be probably the biggest challenge and, and probably most CSDs will say the same thing. As your agency grows, especially if you are sector agnostic, you know, it's very hard to feel like you're adding value as well because you really want to go deep into one industry, but you're constantly having to task between them. So I think tools can be very helpful in this regard because you're constantly trying to maintain this bird's eye view and you have a finite amount of time at the end of the day that you can apply within a, a working week. So I find it useful to have tools that will almost give a bit of a kind of red, amber, green system that I can keep a track of. And where I see that things are at risk, there are issues going on, I can dive into those where I see things are going really well and, and everything's wonderful and green, then I know that focusing in on those areas are only going to make things even better. So I think having that kind of bird's eye view and having tools that enable that bird's eye view, time well spent to get that right. We, as an agency, we're a kind of Atlassian, Google-based agency. And Atlassian tools especially, we use a lot for the actual doing of the work. But we also use it as useful places for both status updates. So we use Atlassian's Atlas tool, which is a great kind of Twitter-length status update with a, a status of kind of red, amber, green for like at risk through to everything's going great. I find that enormously helpful because I can just see that on a weekly basis. And if I haven't been able to keep touch with every single item that's going on, it gives me that bird's eye view. But it also keeps the whole agency up to date, which most people within an agency, especially like ours, which is fully remote, and we have people dotted all around the world, people want to know how the agency's doing. They want to know if it's profitable. They want to know if we've got new clients coming in. They want to know how existing clients are responding to their work. So they can subscribe to those updates as well as me and just see a cross-section of how things are going. So that could be a really good way to kind of keep in touch. And then I think the cross-industry thing is probably the other challenge. I find it, and, and this obviously needs the buy-in of your agency leadership team, I find it really useful in the same way as personally you may have a mentor to have some industry people spotted across kind of the cross-section of industries that you focus on that you can draw insight from. They're totally unbiased because they're just in the industry they don't have any specific kind of interest in or conflict of interest with any particular client, but they keep a pulse of, of how that industry is going. I find that enormously helpful. And so I try to pick a few people within the industry and we'll just meet on a monthly basis or even on a quarterly basis. 
know, what's going on in your industry right now? What might client be facing, but they haven't told me yet, but you're aware that they're probably facing it because everyone in that industry is. So I, I think it's being strategic about time and knowing that you do have a finite amount of time at the end of the day and you have to kind of zero in when you think you're going to be most valuable. And do you capture those insights that you gain from all of these kind of mentors in different industries? and share them with the rest of the team. That's right, yeah. So one of the other Atlassian tools that we use is product discovery. And this is kind of a space for ideas. So if we were going to go to our quarterly meeting with a client and talk about what's coming up, we'll put those ideas into that forum. You can kind of roadmap that so a client can visually see, oh, okay, yes, I agree, this is something that we want to focus on in the next six months versus something that's a great idea we may never get to it, but certainly it's a kind of further down the road thing. So when I have conversations that align to those ideas and align to that roadmap, they'll go in as insights into that. And then anyone in the team can pick that up and, and see it. And so I think we, we'll try to do more of that as we go forward, especially within that realm of therefore care. Continuous discovery is a really interesting topic. And a lot of clients would love to have the time to do it, go out and speak to real customers, get their insights on how the service is affecting them. Quite often they don't have the time and the resource to be able to do that and they may lean on us to be able to do that so to be able to bring not just I guess a kind of industry expert view but from the ground up this is how real customers within your industry feel about the products and services that you offer yeah that's really valuable insight to be able to then bring back to the client so we've done this independently potentially and you know, this is what we're hearing and this is how maybe it might shape the next six months of your roadmap. Love that because clients at the end of the day, they're interested in their business and their customers and anything that you can bring from in terms of insights, it's hugely valuable. Just going back a step to the tool you're using, the Atlas tool, that mm. I thought that was great as well. So you're always looking at where am I going to most effectively spend my time? We've talked about categorization of clients to identify growth clients, but then you also said, I look across the projects and look if it's red, amber, green, so I know where I need to focus my energy. Now, presumably, the project managers are inputting into whether that's red, amber, green. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So each project manager will obviously have their portfolio of projects, and it's their responsibility to then, I guess, amplify the status update for the wider agency on a weekly basis. So it never feels like we're too far removed from the day-to-day without actually having to be fully engrossed in the day-to-day, where then I think the flip side of that is that you never feel that you have time to be strategic. So I guess the goal is always to try to engineer time to be strategic without losing touch. At the end of the day, you have to know how those individual projects are going. It's the lifeblood of any agency. And it's what your client is really looking to you for as a baseline to be that reliable partner. But to be able to do that without consuming all of your attention, and to be able to feel that you have the headspace to be strategic. You know, it was always a challenge in the past and something that I've worked really hard to try and maintain now. Brilliant. I'm curious, because you're all remote, I think this system sounds very buttoned up. It sounds like it's working well and it gives you the information you need. Do you also have like Zoom calls with the whole project management team? How often do you all get together as a kind of service delivery team? For sure. Yes, yeah, so we'll still get together on a weekly basis. So we'll have our weekly management team meeting and, and kind of project management office meeting, I guess. Likewise, with things like resourcing. So at the bare minimum, on a weekly basis, we're always touching base and actually talking about things. I think what those individual status updates do is that they stop us from having a meeting to give the status update and they become a meeting to talk about what's already been updated. And that's a big change. And I think it's 
again, it enables you to maximize your time. If I already know what the update is, but I don't understand why or how I can help, then we can spend five minutes talking about that. That's the time much better spent than five minutes just giving the update. You don't really have time to really take it all in and ask questions and you never really get to the heart of the issue. So. Yeah, I've sat, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone listening has probably sat in meetings where everyone's going around the room with an update and you're just saying, I haven't said anything, nothing's relevant to me and it's a complete waste of my time. So that sounds like a very efficient way of going. So great tip there. Tell me more about, you are obviously attending these quarterly strategy sessions, which is fantastic. That's kind of working upstream, working very strategically, and that's where you want to be seen. What are your other touch points? Like, do the project managers run all of the kind of the projects? Do you show your face in project meetings, like whether it's status and you're talking about the granular detail, or do you not get involved in that at all? Yeah, no, I do. And I think it's worthwhile doing so. I think when you're non-biddable and known to be non-biddable, then you can dip in and out. And from the client's point of view, it's great to see your face. Likewise, they're not having to worry that it's another line item on the bill. I think I try and keep a fairly predictable cadence to it. I think when it's too random, then it's very obvious when you join because there's a new opportunity that you're going out of time. Suddenly your presence is there. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're coming Um, to the end of a contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think making it a predictable cadence is helpful. But I think showing your face and being there, like the flip side of not being too ingrained in the day-to-day and even if there are tools that will help you to kind of keep in touch and not lose touch of a project from a client's point of view nothing beats facetime and whether that's personal physical facetime or whether it's on screen a client wants to see that you are really invested in their business and that their business is your number one priority so it might be a fortnightly basis rather than a weekly basis or in some cases a monthly basis but i think it's important to be there and be noticeably part of the team plus the team itself takes confidence from presence in some cases Sometimes a humble status update meeting is not a humble status update meeting and it evolves into something else. So I think being there and being part of the team and supporting the team is just important. Do you find that at the client side, different people from the client side attend a quarterly strategy session versus the clients that actually are kind of responsible for the day-to-day tactics? So are they different people always or are there overlaps sometimes? Yeah, I think there's definitely overlap. Sometimes there'll be quite segregated. At the time, it's the same individual and you're going to see them throughout. Probably another good reason to be both present in the quarterly meeting and present at least on a periodic basis in those individual on a day-to-day meetings. I think by virtue of it being quarterly, there's an inference that is strategic. So therefore, more senior people tend to gravitate towards those meetings because they haven't necessarily had the time to keep up with the day-to-day month by month and it's really useful update for them as well but likewise the people who are actually running the project who are involved day-to-day are hugely influential within any organization and so to not pay attention to those areas and only focus on the senior leadership level leaves you very vulnerable i think as an agency so i think you have to certainly focus between the two i've got so many more questions but i'm just conscious of time and i want to squeeze so many in we talked briefly about ai and obviously i've got a webinar coming up in a couple of weeks about some use cases that i think can make an account manager's job a little bit easier but talk to me about how you're using it in your agency. Yeah, so AI has been a topic now for a good few years and keen interest of our CEO. So he's really pushed the agenda on it. I think there's some areas where it's quite a mature part of the process. 
So developers will use things like Copilot, which is almost like a more complete for developers in my mind to assist them and to make sure that it's adhering to best practice and, and that sort of thing. So I think things like that are already very ingrained and it's making us more efficient and the clients benefit from that efficiency. I think from an account management point of view, my current use of it is largely in, again, kind of extending my time, I suppose, from a research perspective, being able to prepare for meetings and to have, it's feel like I've got a good wealth of kind of industry knowledge. And using ChatGPT as an example is a great way to cut through a lot of that. And I'm always very aware that I'm getting a one-to-one answer and there's nuance and there's other things to find out, but it can be enormously helpful there. Enormously helpful also in making sense of and organizing ideas. Yeah, sometimes you can feel quite chaotic and you're constantly writing messages and emails as, as part of your day-to-day. Having a little bit of assistance is quite nice and, and streamlining in that process is, is really good. And uh, we also use tools, so like I generally if I'm in a meeting, I have a, a tool called Tactic, which is kind of a, a browser plugin that will record notes of, of a meeting. And there's a kind of one-click summarize this meeting. It's amazing. I'm always quite abused by the fact when you watch it transcribe, it gets it so wrong in a hilarious way. But then when you hit summarize, it does it perfectly. <laughs> it's amazing. How does it? But some seems to work very well. So I think there's an awful lot of time-saving techniques that AI is so helpful for. And I think now we're starting to work out how we can not just pass on our own efficiencies to clients, but also how can we add value? I talked earlier about the fact that the problem we're commonly solving is this ever-growing amount of content that the marketing team sales team, various teams within an enterprise organization are having to keep on top of. That naturally leads to content governance and how do I know what content is old and in need of refreshing? How do I know what content maybe doesn't meet a set of standards that the organization has set? Again, it's that kind of bird's eye view. I need to be able to rush to the problem at hand and know where it exists. And so we're starting to use AI in kind of content governance models to try and make clients feel that they can use their time more effectively. Can you share with us what tool you're using in that instance? Yeah, it's generally still OpenAI based. We're huge advocates for open source technology. So we're really building small tools here and there, but there are lots of platforms out there that are using AI in really interesting ways. I sat in on a, a Twilio segment webinar the other day, which was like a customer data platform. And they showed an example in a, in a kind of live chat environment whereby I could generate a response. And the response would feel like it was written in natural language and it was very human, but it wasn't contextualized. And so it very quickly became very generic. Whereas by plugging in this customer data platform, now I could feed that AI information specific to the person and therefore the AI could respond with a message that was actually really personalized and now felt not just more human, but also actually added value and became useful to the customer. So in some cases, it's building things of our own. And in some cases, it's recognizing that there are great tools out there already and just finding the right way to integrate them. I think you're absolutely right. I think we're at this point at the moment. I mean, it's just moving so quickly, but the likes of Salesforce, HubSpot, et cetera, are all integrating AI tools now and this predictive way of working. So I think what I'm seeing and also what I'm talking to agencies about is looking at your current tech stack 
what are you currently using? Because inevitably, they're just going to be AI driven. At the moment, there's this proliferation of different tools you could use for all these different things. But it makes sense if you're using Google Workspace, you're using Microsoft Teams, that's going to incorporate everything anyway. And I suppose by the time you've paid all these monthly fees for all these tools, it can get quite expensive as well. But that's really, really interesting. Any tips for any prompts that you're using with ChatGPT for your research purposes? Oh, no, interesting. I'm probably still learning in this space, I think. We all are, though. We all are. I think, to be honest, it's just interesting to reframe as you give it a prompt and you get a response. I think the prompts that then start to become really useful are just a natural consequence of going back over and back over and back and, yeah, reframe this, add in this. What about this? Can you base it on this framework or this recognized piece of knowledge? I think that's where you get a really useful response. And I've certainly used it for research for and come up with information that hasn't been quite right. And I've gone to my client and I said, well, I've done a bit of research and this is what I've found out. And they said, well, actually, no, in my experience is this. And it hasn't never been a point of contention that I've brought that knowledge to them, even if it hasn't been quite accurate. But it's been a useful conversation starter and they've been able to then layer on detail and nuance that I wouldn't otherwise have it. So I think it could be a really great conversation starter as well. And you just come out of the meeting feeling like you have more than just general knowledge, but very specific knowledge that's contextual to that client. I love that. I mean, old school account management 30 years ago, Luke, we used to have to read industry press. We used to have the press clippings book where you'd had to kind of gem up before a client meeting. Nowadays, we've got it all at our fingertips. And as you say, it makes you feel more confident. You look more prepared. You look more professional. You look like you care and you give a damn about what's going on. And this is now minutes rather than hours. So I love that. And you're right. When you're doing the prompting, the more kind of nuanced you can get along the same thread, the more rich the data is going to be. So that's great. What are your clients asking you about AI? Mm, yes. Any any conversations you've had with clients you can share? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think where it's most obviously useful, and I think some technology vendors have done this really well. I can think of Shopify as an example, and their kind of Shopify magic tool. It's the activities that clients spend a lot of time doing or requires a lot of resource to do that they wish they could use elsewhere and they can't because it's just so time consuming. So you know, Shopify Magic creates like product descriptions, almost the click of a button. And that's something I've worked for a kind of multi-brand sports retailer before. That was a whole two or three people's roles to sit there and take in the product and write product descriptions. And it's hard. It's really difficult. You've got to make each one slightly different. You've got to make each one adhere to a certain brand and, and tone of voice. And it's got to be accurate at the same time. So I think any examples like that where it can be time-saving, that's probably the most obvious. I think what may come more now is not just saving time, but generating opportunity. And at the same time, we're having lots of conversations internally about the legalities of open AI and, and the use of AI, because obviously each country has its own take on this. Canada certainly has its own take on this. And they're very aware that, I don't think at the moment, our creative team is necessarily using AI to generate imagery, but many agencies are, and it's useful to know where does the IP sit in those sorts of scenarios. So I think that they want to take advantage of it, they want to save time through it, but they also don't want to expose themselves to more risk, and they want to be educated in how do I make use of this in a way that's going to add value to my business 
not put me at risk of taking value away later. So we're trying to keep on top of that as well and pass on anything we learn to them. And in most cases, they have their own legal counsel as well. So we can just have a collaborative conversation. So we've heard this, potentially that poses a bit of a risk. How do you feel about that and have a dialogue around it? I think it's really important to have a dialogue at this stage while the legalities and the rules are being formulated. There is actually just FYI, you probably know this already, but the the Marketing AI Institute, who have a fantastic podcast and also a free webinar about the overview of AI every month, and it's live, they have on their site an AI policy document that you can adapt for your business. And I think what I'm seeing amongst other agencies, that they're starting to formulate a bit of an AI policy for clients, because this is a topic of conversation, particularly coming up with procurement. And I think you touched on it before saying, ultimately, we want to be able to pass on these savings that we are being more efficient to our clients. And I suppose it leads me on to a question around the future. Like, do you have any thoughts for where the agency industry is going? Who's going to be most successful in moving forward in the next kind of five years, at least? Yeah, I think certainly we as an agency are obviously we're very technology driven. It's really yeah the large part of what we sell, I guess. And we're definitely seeing that I think the advances in technology over the last even two years really challenging the status quo of how we might have developed digital experiences years ago versus today. So I think in maybe this is a, an easy answer, but I think the agency that continues to evolve and question the technologies that they're using and use them in different ways, definitely more likely to succeed than others. And I think in that technology space, that is a problem because there are many agencies who might specialize in one type of content management system. As an example, you can develop deep expertise in that, and that's fine, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think things move so quickly that obviously there is also risk in going just pigeonholed into one technology over another. So I think just having a willingness to be open to change, I suppose, and you know, not get too precious about what happens today and how it happens today, but be willing to kind of reflect and evolve and, and change things and experiment more than anything else. I think that's really great advice, Luke. And so that's really for agency owners and agencies in general. Any specific parting words of advice for account managers? Like you mentioned having mentors in different industries. I thought that was a great tip. Any other pieces of advice you can share with those in account management who are on that pathway, perhaps CSD, perhaps agency owner, to keep evolving themselves? Yeah, I think it starts with a baseline of just passion for the industry that you're in. And that doesn't change. Hopefully only deepens as new technology comes along. So I think having a passion and continuing to kind of evolve that passion is a key thing. I guess as a client service person, definitely have to invest time in your own skills. And I think what you do for account managers is enormously helpful. When I started out in account management, like I said, really fell into it. Likewise, project management became just a need that kind of sprung up organically. I hadn't been trained in it, so again, getting training that really helped. You mentioned in previous podcasts about markets and the impact he had on your career. I think there's a point in account management where if you didn't start from a sales or, or strategic point, you started from a creative point. It certainly took me a long time to realize that I was in any kind of sales just wasn't on my radar that that's kind of the profession that I was in. And so the basics and good negotiation and, and everything else, I really didn't have. So yeah, I think if you can encourage your agency owner to put you on training, absolutely do it. 
If you have the luxury of being able to put yourself on training, if you don't have the backing of the agency, it's worthwhile doing it. I appreciate that everyone has that, that luxury. And I think finding mentors, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a, a major thing. Probably three or four people in my career who I still speak to, try to make a point of speaking to them every month, if I can. To be honest, since I've come here, because it was such a big move from the UK to Toronto, I very deliberately picked one or two of those mentors and I speak to them every week because it just gives me that confidence. I can take specific issues to them. This is what I dealt with this week. This is how I dealt with it. So do you see any gaps? Is there anything else I could be doing? In no way I would feel as confident about my role today if it wasn't for those relationships. So I think if there was one thing to do, it would be, if possible, try and find that mentor for you that can not just give you confidence, but actually help you to learn and, and grow as well. I think that's a great piece of advice. There's so much there that you've said which resonates. And having also the courage to ask for that feedback, to share with them what you did and then get that feedback. I think that speaks volumes about your character as well. And you're obviously doing well through it because you've managed to travel with your job, get more senior positions. So fantastically, this has been brilliant. If someone wants to talk to you about what you do in the agency and what the agency does, because it sounds very compelling, what's the best way that they can reach you? Uh, yeah, I say LinkedIn. I probably use LinkedIn more than any other social channel. I find it a really great source of community and knowledge. So yeah, but LinkedIn would be a good All right, we'll put a link to you your profile in the show notes. Luke, thank you so much for your time. The time is just, I knew it was going to happen. Whizzed away. So thank you again. No, thank you so much, Jenny. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Luke. And if you're listening to this episode before the 20th of July, 2023, I'm running a free webinar on AI for account managers. Roy Murphy from Synthetic Agency is going to provide an update on the current AI landscape, how brands and agencies are utilizing AI, some ethical considerations and challenges. And we'll also be sharing some specific use cases for account managers. So I hope you can join us. And if If you have missed out on that, then don't forget you can sign up to my newsletter on my website, accountmanagementskills.com, where I notify any free trainings that I'm doing. And also, if you want to send me a note and ask for the recording, if you have missed it, then please feel free to ask me. You can contact me via my website or on LinkedIn. So I will see you on the next one.